Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Friday, January 29th, 2021. Well, we're recording the first half of the show, the, the news portion of Friday. Feature portion is going to have to wait till uh, Monday, February 1st. That's when, thanks to Drew, uh, we're going to get to do something really, really cool. Yeah, we're going to talk to director Taylor Meacham and producer Jeff Herman, the two gentlemen behind DreamWorks's new animated short to Gerard. And that is obviously in the Oscar conversation right now. So we're going to get to chat with them about what it was like making this short. And it's a short that we both loved, right? Oh, no, absolutely. I think I kind of went into the ditch talking about how there's, you know, whoever made this really loved Close Magic. So, yeah, really can't wait to talk with Taylor and Jeff about. Speaking of Close Magic, did you watch In and of Itself on Hulu, Jim? This is the Frank Oz directed thing? Yes. Okay. All right. Because I, I was driving home today. I, I'm listening to uh, My Favorite Murder with, with Karen and Georgia, and they are just losing their minds about this. But at the same time, what they keep telling people is don't. Don't look at anything in advance. Just go watch it. Yeah. Don't make the mistake of doing any research. All I know is it it was a play, right? It was a live show, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we talk with, with Taylor and Jeff, I will look at it this weekend. Okay. After the break, I'll come back and blither. They're, they're absolutely right, though. Don't, don't read anything or, or look at anything. Just just oh. watch it. It's really okay. It's really wonderful. I will do that. I will do that. Okay. I make a point always of, of talking about how you really need to be following Drew on social media between either the people he's he's poking a sharp stick at or, or more <laughs> to the point, the stories you share. I mean, I had never heard the story that you shared today on Twitter about Epic, the Blue Sky Studios film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting story, right? I mean, well, can can you do the reader size of Because honestly, I never knew this. Yeah, so Epic for a little while was almost a Pixar movie, which is really interesting. Chris Wedge, who you know was one of the founding members of Blue Sky, wanted to adapt this William Joyce book, The Leaf Men and the Bugs, or whatever it was, and mm-hmm. and they finally reached an impasse and they said, okay, you can take it somewhere else. So he called up Lassiter. And from what I have been told, they were working on it at, at Pixar for a few weeks. And then they got down to the final sort of licensing agreement. Okay. We're taking this project over and Fox who owned blue sky uh, said, no, we're not giving it back. So then that meant that he moved his entire team from Emeryville Back to Greenwich, Connecticut, which is very near where I uh, used to live in in Connecticut. And Mm -hmm. they finished the movie out there. But for a couple of weeks, it was a Pixar movie. Wow. So you've never really heard anything like that, especially Pixar sort of absorbing an outside property, a property based on uh, a pre-existing material. It's all very interesting. Yeah. Do you know where this fell in in the production timeline? Was it? After Bugs Life and before yes, I think it. I think it was announced in 2006 as being a Blue Sky movie, and then it was, I think, eventually released in 2009. I want to mm-hmm. say or 2013. So it was somewhere in the 2009 2010 area, probably. Mm-hmm. 
that all this happened. I think it went back to actually, I'm sorry, it went back to Fox in 2009. Mm-hmm. So it must have been 2007, 2008 when it was being worked on by Pixar. So, wow. I mean, that could have factored in also, you know, we, we always talk about how Ratatouille was supposed to be the first, you know, oh non Disney movie that right. this could have yeah. been in, in play too for that period when they were trying to sort of strike out on their own. Oh, oh, I love the story. We'll have to do some more digging there. Uh, yes. Well, speaking of, of of epic things, we had two very cool trailers drop over the past week. Godzilla versus Kong, which had some great CG action. I don't know yeah. uh, how much of a kaiju film fan you are. I I have a tragic weakness for, for men in rubber suit movies. And so this new generation of Godzilla films where Godzilla actually looks pretty good. Not exactly my cup of tea, but they're fun. Yeah, MP- MPC did the anima- the character animation. We got to give them a shout out. You know, they did okay. Lion King and mm-hmm. Dumbo and everything else. That's been great. Mm-hmm. One note, only Ivan. They did the mm-hmm. those creatures. So, yeah, amazing. Work. Oh, God, that's right. Okay. Yeah. But again, we bring up the Godzilla versus Kong film for another reason, because every time we turn around, Netflix is doing something different animation-wise. And so did you see this news about the two new animated series there, the Skull Island and Tomb Raider, right? Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting because it's legendary television Mm -hmm. that's doing both of these, and... Mm -hmm. Godzilla vs. Kong is being put out by HBO slash HBO Max mm-hmm. in in March, but mm-hmm. these are going to Netflix. It's just very interesting the kind of trajectory that these things take. But I th- I'm really excited about Skull Island. Um, Brian Duffield, who's writing it, mm-hmm. had a great year this year. I don't know if you saw Love and Monsters, Jim, or Underwater, but he's he's done a lot of great stuff this year and it's, it's about a group of shipwrecked characters trying to escape a dangerous and mysterious Island. So mm-hmm. sounds good to me. That works. Also, I guess we, we need to talk about Witch boy. Yes. Which is a really cool sounding. I mean, how many movies is Netflix going to make? I, I want to say the chief creative officer was talking about how he really did want to take on Disney when it came to animation and with, in this case, it's Minkyu Lee who did you ever get to see the Glenn Keane short Adam and Dog? No. It's the story of of Adam and Eve folding a, a dog into the tail. And Okay. It's kind of lumpy story wise, but it has amazing animation and a a wonderful take on that tale. But Minkyu worked with Glenn on this thing, also worked on uh, Winnie the Pooh and Princess and the Frog, and seems to have gone along with Glenn on his you know, his feature film debut for as a director, Over the Moon. Yeah. This particular film is based on what, a, a series of graphic novels by a Molly Knox ostrich tag. The idea is that only girls have magic in this world, and but here's a boy who's born who who discovers that he himself also has magic and right from claws on forward netflix really is carving out a, a really interesting place for animation in fact there's a lot of great behind the scenes stuff for claws up on youtube now and they had sergio there with his the head of story explaining they showed for example they showed this entirely different opening for the film an entirely different take on the postmaster that they abandoned like six months in likewise different ends for the film. I mean, they got a wonderful film 
in the end. Klaus is a, a, a wonderful film, whether it's a holiday season or not. Yeah. But it's just the fact that when you look at all of these things that are coming out out of the Netflix animation label, I mean, it really has become this wonderful home for all sorts of styles of animation. Yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, on the press release for this new one, they mentioned Richard Linkletter's Apollo 10 and a half, mm-hmm. Chris Williams' The Sea Beast, Henry Selick's mm-hmm. Wendell and Wild, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, and a sequel to Chicken Run, and... My Father's Dragon, which is the next uh, Toon Saloon movie as well. So, oh, okay. I mean, an embarrassment of riches, Jim. But at the same time, if we're talking about trailers that dropped this past week, we got the, the Ray and the Dragon trailer. And I know, again, you've done the long lead press day for this thing. So you've, you've seen, what, 20, 25 minutes of footage yeah. at this point? What's your thought on this? Is this a, a, a decent representation of what the film's about? or? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I mean, I agree it's a great trailer. Mm-hmm. I hope the movie is as good as the trailer. I'm mm-hmm. really hoping and praying for that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we both know it's gone through some... It's had, it's had some ups and downs creatively mm-hmm. over the past year. I think you mentioned just on, on the last show about this thing having a theme that really resonated today. In fact, I, I guess the trailer puts that front and center with the the whole line that the world is broken, we don't trust one another. And, and I think yeah. it's, it's Rhea who actually says, well, maybe the world is broken because you don't trust one another. And right. it's like, geez. Sounds familiar. <laughs> so for some reason, you know, it really yeah. resonates today. Yeah, that's the big, yeah, that's the big theme. So I hope they pull it off. I have no doubt. I mean, it's amazing that they were able to come up with this stuff in quarantine, you know, oh, yeah. at, at home. Yeah. I yeah. can't imagine what that was like. But, you know, when I talked to the various filmmakers, that ended up resonating during the production because they kept saying, well, you know, we had to trust the animators more. We had to trust that they would just oh. let that, you know, bring this stuff in because a lot of times there's a lot of micromanagement. Oh, can I take a look at this? Can I, can you fix this? Can you do that? And there wasn't quite that level because there just was, you know, the office was not open. So they had to say, okay, bring this scene back on Friday or whatever. And and that's just kind of how it's done. So it was really interesting to hear that the actual production mimicked the th- sort of thematic essence of the movie as well. All right. So we are at this point, I ran the, the last drag. It opens in theaters at March 5th. So five weeks out. And uh, uh, by the way, you were correct. When I initially went to my, my local Target, the Raya toys were not out, but I went back there later this week. And they're there now. The fact that they actually still managed to get the toys made right. under these conditions is, is just kind of startling. So what did you get, Jim? Oh, no. I'm strong these days. You know, the, the new rule is nothing can come into the house unless two things go out. Right. So it's just sort of like, <laughs> like, I don't see anything there yet I need to have. Right. But speaking of things going out, though, how did we miss out on the fact that Big Hero 6, the series, is, is ending in two weeks, right? February 15th. You know, this is what happens, Jim, when I don't tweet about it, a show ending. You know, oh. we just... <laughs> We just miss it all together. <laughs> oh. No, I think it was. Ju- I think the news was just this week that it was ending. I mean, I haven't totally kept up with the series, but I'll watch it if it, you know, if I catch it. But it seemed like it was doing well. I guess maybe they wanted to clear the air for the Baymax show. Oh yes, Baymax Plus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, 
what's the deal with this interactive short that that's going to be showing up at Sundance? Yeah, it looks like it's using sort of like AR VR technology. I actually have a friend who's on this team that that worked on those Baymax Dreams shorts mm-hmm. that were sort of CGI shorts, but this one is like sort of interactive. I don't know. It looks really cool. Um, I don't know how one experiences this short, but hopefully, even if it's like Myth the Frozen Tale, which is coming to Disney Plus in February, are you excited to finally get that's, to watch that? That's right. That's right. Yeah. You, you mentioned the show was so back, but in basically the same window of time as Baymax, the series is ending. Uh, if we, we pivot to yet another streaming service, uh, Paramount Plus on March 4th. Uh, not only do we finally get SpongeBob, Sponge on the Run, the feature, but we also get the first six episodes of Camp Coral. Yeah. Paramount Plus is basically the re, the, the rebranded CBS All Access. Correct. But the notion that the day they launch Paramount Plus, uh, SpongeBob, Sponge on the Run, and Camp Coral are front and center. Animation seems to be such a big part of what the streaming services are doing, which brings me to the weirdest story of the week. What do you make of this animated Game of Thrones that's supposedly in the works for HBO Max? Well, I feel like it's going to be more of an adult anime type mm-hmm. vibe, and I feel like that is just something that that the streamers are really investing in right mm-hmm. now for whatever reason. So, you know, I, I'm sort of cautiously optimistic that it'll be That'll be good. I mean, I don't really understand what it'll be or when it'll take place or whatever, but they seem to really be invested in that sort of time and in, in spinning off this thing from, you know, I think that one of the series that's coming out is like set like thousands of years before or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that's the part that I'm very interested in is like, when will this actually be set Mm-hmm. and who's going to be involved and all those questions. But I, I'm consciously optimistic. I mean, if they go with a really cool animation studio and really commit to kind of a mature story, I think that could be really fun. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, let's face it, you know, how many, you know, Adult Swim series are, are you and I invested in? It's true. It's a little sad at this point, I think. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of, of somewhat sad news, Ron's Gone Wrong, I, you know, got its release date pushed back to October 22nd of this year. But that said, we did finally get an image this week of this Locksmith film. And what did you think? Uh, it's pretty cute, I think. Mm-hmm. I like the little robot, don't you? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, to be honest, though, I'm more intrigued by who's working on this thing. Like, yeah. for example, Sarah Smith. I'm, I'm one of these people who really, really loves Arthur Christmas Sam. It has a, a lovely sensibility. And and then we have uh, Jean-Philippe Vine, who was a story artist on Cars 3 and Good Dinosaur, which are, are two films that really deserve a little bit more love than they get. I agree. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of genuinely talented people associated with this one. So I'm kind of hoping that this uh, <laughs> release date sticks. Because, frankly, the other film that just this week we found out that has had its release date changed again, Rumble, the Paramount animated kaiju wrestling movie, it was first supposed to be out in theaters July 31st, 2020, got pushed to November, uh, Thanksgiving window, 
then it got pushed to January 29th, 2021, got pushed to May 14th, and now February 18th, 2022? <laughs> I'm sorry, you just feel bad for the people in the Paramount, you know, the office that actually prints the physical posters, because <laughs> it's like, right. why do we even bother put dates on these things? Yeah, I'm a little less uh, excited for this one, mm-hmm. if I'm being okay. honest, but well, that trailer well, did not inspire a lot of confidence but well i but at the same time it's it's real effects and if paramount had had its way they would have loved to have had this thing out somewhere in the vicinity of godzilla versus kong or maybe the vicinity of wrestlemania jim because this is a wwe co-production as well also true also true (laughs) but in both cases it's hard to ride on coattails when there's no coat Right. Speaking of of kaiju movies, did you see that, that? I guess just today, they announced that they're going to do a really for real sequel to Cloverfield. I did see that. Only this time, no found footage. It's going to be a real for real big monster movie, Lucent City movie. Give it to me. <laughs> Give it to me, go. Jim. I'm ready. All right. Okay. Uh, j- just to review, uh, Ron Gone's wrong. Uh, our, in, in that case, you know, it's the story of Barney, a, a socially awkward middle schooler, uh, and Ron, his walking, talking digital device. When we get back, we're going to talk about a somewhat socially awkward postal worker, the, the, the title character in DreamWorks Animations to Gerard. Okay, uh, it's now Monday, and I did my homework that, that Drew assigned me. I, I went to on Hulu and watched Derek Delgado's In and of Itself, and oh my God, that was amazing. But how do we talk about this? I think you just say, watch it, don't read anything about it, mm. and have a copious amount of Kleenex around you because i don't know about you jim but katie and i were both on the couch just looking at each other sobbing through the last about 15 minutes oh my god yes (laughs) but well i have to say this because i was on hulu and again gotta remember drew's been giving me homework for for the better part of two years now and it was like oh yeah animaniacs like you know I, i should finally watch the full first season of the animaniacs and I got through eight of them. I still have five to go. And so I don't want to make sort of a blanket assessment of them, but let's start with the positives. They look great. They look absolutely amazing. You know, the Animaniacs Mm. have never been better animated. The voice talent is as good as it was 22 years ago. But the writing, am I wrong that something just seems a little off or... Yeah, tonally, it's a little off. Mm -hmm. I also want to say on the positive note, I really like the news segment that they introduced about the little girl and the little alien. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, that doesn't show up in the batch of shows till, I want to say, the eighth episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, again, I want to finish the other five before I weigh in definitively here. And it was so funny today that somebody posted a story about how The Muppet Show is about to start on Disney+. And the article basically was like, okay, let's talk about how shaky the first season of the show is. 
and anybody who's actually seen the early Muppet shows knows this. This, this was a show that was kind of took a while to find its feet. I mean, hell, it, in the first show, Miss Piggy isn't even really a featured character. She she kind of busts out right. of a number, and Gonzo isn't quite who Gonzo eventually becomes. I mean, every show has to find its way, you know, and has to yes. get a few under its belt before, okay, that works, that doesn't, and then they take off from that. On the other hand... Let's talk about to Gerard. Right. We have a brand new writer-director in Taylor Meacham. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. Well, why don't we just jump into the interview? Okay. This is with Taylor and producer Jeff Herman, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Jim, do you want to start off? You, I prodded you into watching this short a couple weeks ago. And I watched it the once and just before coming on to talk with you guys now, just watched it twice back to back. Guys, this is an absolute charmer. What I love about this thing is it's a model of economy. I mean, it's one of these things when you think about it, the only words you ever hear in this entire thing are Vivanti, the recording. You know, everything else is is a visual, but it's so beautifully structured and it's made me cry all three times I've seen it. So I have to start off with the obvious question. Who's the fan of close-up magic? (laughs) Oh, me, for sure. Absolutely. That would be terrible. Okay. (laughs) Okay, because the way you guys do close-up magic in this, again, I didn't realize it's animation, you can do anything with animation. Yes. But it's the fact that so many of the classic moves, so many of the old, like Dante, the magician-type level close magic. How did you do the research for this? How did you pull it together? I'll tell you, first of all, it makes me so happy to hear that you recognize that (laughs) because most of the time I was like, no one's going to recognize this. But I come I I went to magic camp when I was younger Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that kind of was the start of my appreciation for close up magic and stage magic. And and I've, I've long since been outside of that world, but it was. You're right. You can do anything you want with animation. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to set some limits to this and I wanted to stay true to um, the magic community and, and, and the craft of being a magician. And just taking that further, when we got into production, Taylor's direction to the animators, you know, cause obviously to your point with animation, you, we can do anything, right? We can mm-hmm. cheat anything. We can make anything mm-hmm. possible, but Taylor really wanted the animation of the actual magic tricks to as, to cl- as closely resemble as possible, the actual art as if it were being done live by a person. And Jeff, maybe you can speak to this, but I was wondering where these shorts are sort of factoring into the DreamWorks sort of production timeline, because there were two movies this year, obviously, and there's a lot of stuff on the way and and a lot of, you know, emphasis on franchises and sequels. And these shorts are wholly original, whether it's, you know, the um, the one from last year with the little Australian creature and this one, Uh, where do these fit in and how do you get started on them? And Taylor, how did you pitch this as a short? I, w- I would love to know everything. Okay, well, I'll, I'll get it going and I'll tee up Taylor. Sure, uh, sure. As part of this, but um, this was that, this was the 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 result of a moment of opportunity in the studio's history. There have been many of us that have always wanted to do shorts as part of the regular studio output, but it never quite ever factored into the business plan of the studio. And what wound up happening was as we were being acquired by Universal and Comcast, and there was some reshuffling, um, not just within the ranks of the administration, but also within the release slate of our films, it actually opened up this window of opportunity where we had a certain amount of artists and crew available uh, in between projects 
for a limited period of time. We needed to retain them because we needed them actually to roll on to um, How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World and then Trolls. But those films weren't quite ready to pick them all up yet. So we needed to come up with something for everyone to do. And of course, everyone went back to their default wish, which was, we want to do shorts. We want to do shorts. <laughs> and this time the studio went, okay, given the parameters of what, you know, what we you know, were, were looking at, it was, it was, we had to use the people who were available in that window of opportunity. We couldn't pull people from other shows and we only had them for as long as they were available. Like once the, the features behind us were ready to ramp up and start bringing people on, they, they took those people. So it was a little bit of a race against the clock, but we also wanted to um, make the most of this moment and really give people a chance not just to pitch their projects, but if they were selected, get a chance to lead, creatively right. lead and direct their projects, uh, which was a huge, huge morale boost um, for the studio. And we wound up taking, uh, this was actually back in um, 2017 when this a happened. Little while ago. Yeah, it was in 2017. <laughs> Um, and I think we had, I can't remember exactly. It was like 26 or 28 pitches out of that. We selected eight to go into some, into some form of development. And we actually wound up succeeding in finishing four of them in about an 18 month window, uh, to Gerard actually wow. being the fourth of them. Yeah. And we, we very much at the end of our production of making it was, we, I always say it's like, it was like the Indiana Jones hat underneath the door. It was just like, we're losing people and it's just, <laughs> oh, going to grab that hat as the yeah. door closes. And we just got, yeah. we're very, I'm super grateful that we're able to, to wrap it up so nicely. You know, I think everyone involved was happy about that. Wow. Given that sort of production, you know, I, 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 that kind of under the gun and working with, you know, just the staff that was available the fact that it's this is this strong and this seamless is a real tribute to you guys and the team. Holy cow! And and really speaks to the the integrity of the pitches that we got. And here's where I'll, I'll tee you up, Taylor. So sure, yeah, eat, eat. <laughs> um, you know, because we had such a limited amount of time, we didn't really have time to iterate. We didn't have time to go. Well, we like this about that idea, but it really needs. A rewrite or it needs to, you know, the, the ideas we chose um, out of the 20 some that were pitched, the ones that we wound up going with was largely in part because they were pretty much fully formed story wise at the pitch and could hit the ground running because we had people available like that day, like we had modelers available and viz dev artists and can, can you get into layout in three weeks and that kind of thing. So it, they really needed to, the idea needed to be there from the get go. And, and the four that we wound up making had that in their own uh, variations. And, and to Taylor's project for Gerard, it was so beautifully uh, there in the pitch. He gave us a verbal pitch, um, but it was so deeply personal and so relatable. And again, all of it was there. The whole, all the beats were there. And, and we just were taken by it and fell in love with it and just wanted to see it through. And also should point out, Taylor was the only one of the eight who came from a non-artistic position within the company whose oh, idea wow. got selected. Wow. Jeff's right that the, the resources were, so, were, were kind of on and off scarce. And I think coming from a production background, I was a production coordinator at the time, helping these guys out, setting up the pitches that were going to the development executives at the time. I was kind of keenly aware of the timeline that we had to work in. So I, I had an idea of... If I'm going to pitch something, <laughs> the script needs to be written, <laughs> you know? 
and that helped honestly and, and it's so funny because you know of course i didn't think that the studio was going to go for it or, and and i and i did probably what you should never do in a pitch which is pitch the plot <laughs> and because it was so short maybe i thought i could get away with it and it ended up working and it was me like running around the room acting it out and and, and behaving like both of the characters and when they brought me back into the office and Jeff was there and they said that we'd like, we'd like to make this, but we're going to have to uh, get a script written for something that weekend. I had gone away and like writ, writ, wrote something up real quick. So I could be like, all right, here's the script. So what do we need to do next? <laughs> Please make my film. <laughs> and the, the, again, the other selling point uh, in Taylor's pitch was, was his personal story of how, what this means for him Right. And, and and how this is kind of a love letter to his father, and and that was part of his pitch. And so that, even though you know, to Taylor's point about pitching the plot, we knew those characters because Taylor just explained his story and his relationship and view of his father. So we knew who those characters were as he as he walked us through the story beats. And it was it was it was a well very well constructed pitch. What I love about this is only a production coordinator. <laughs> could have come up with a shirt that you can tell in two and a half rooms. You know, just to the effect of, you know, think about it. You've got the back room of the post office, you've got the theater, and you've got the hint of the actual post office lobby. You didn't even have to actually build the entire post office lobby. I mean, <laughs> killer. Wow. Yeah. It's it's so funny you say that because I think, you know, as and I, I'm a story artist now, uh, but Jeff saw this, I know Jeff saw this very slow progression of me at the beginning of, us making the short of me creating like scheduling st- scheduling sheets and at one point Jeff being like nope you're not doing this anymore give this over here I am taking you off the email aliases and you're not you're you're no longer being in production now you have to make your film um, which was really nice to have that support and that encouragement but I I remember at the beginning sitting in Jeff's office with a spreadsheet of like okay we can take these assets from Boss Baby and then we could take these assets like going through our asset library. And thinking, oh, those could work if we make these, scale these up and change the surfacing. <laughs> we didn't end up doing a lot of that. There's a couple gems in there from other films. But, um, well, yeah, can you talk about the, the production design? Because it is a beautiful looking short. I mean, it, you cannot tell that you are stealing things from Boss Baby. And maybe the best use of pneumatic tubes since Hudsucker Proxy, I'm going <laughs> to say. That, is a, that was an inspiration for Okay, sure. okay, yeah. Then, yeah. Absolutely. And the okay. throwing the, the envelopes into the, into the mail slots. Right, right. Um, yeah, where did some of this stuff come from besides that movie? Oh, gosh. I, I mean, I think it started with what assets are available. I mean, the, the theater largely and the post office all built from scratch. I think really where you see a lot of reuse in it are in the characters. I believe, Jeff, can I, I, I'm sure none of yeah. this, we've never actually talked about any of this. The whole audience is our crowds from Boss Baby. Our crowds are from the first Boss Baby. <laughs> oh, wow. Our, our, oh. our usher in, in the theater is a, we've t- we tweaked a model to fit uh, our character designer's style, but that character is from Everest. Ab- yeah, okay. Abominable, yeah. Abominable, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, but all the, everything else really spawned out of Nico's character design, okay. and he was really one of the first people that we brought on. Him and him and Ramon Zibak, who was our uh, production designer, were really the two first people that came on, and everything spawned out of uh, Nico's character design because it was really kind of the first artwork besides me scribbling at my desk that came back that really felt like it fit into the story, and we pulled. Everything from the shape of the desk and the way that the post office was was designed was based really just based around like how are these characters living in this space? Okay, you know, yeah. 
And can you talk about it being on on well, Peacock? That's kind of fun, right? Because oh, it's you great. Know, it's yeah. fantastic. I mean, it's it's so funny because we had been working on it for so long, but only a handful of people in my family had seen it. And that's really, I, I mean, I of course want everyone to see it, but if, but I, I have my family texting me like, when are we going to see it? When are we going to see it for for a while? Um, but it was so it was really nice to have them actually mm-hmm. get to experience it. I'm the middle child of of many sisters, and they all only one of them I think had seen it at a point, and one of the main characters is the name of one of my sisters. So I, I try to put different pieces of my family into it. So it was really important for me to get them to see it because they. My uncle's name is Gerard, and like, there's a lot of bunch of little things in there that um, I was hopeful for them to see it. You know, right? Well, you mentioned Jules just a second ago, and I, I love the economy of this. That you know, to the effect of so much of the way we know, you know, mm-hmm. we are looking at the adult Jules is what we previously see. I mean, it, it, it's the classic Chekhov's gun. It's, it's one of these things. Yes. Everything she did in the post office, you know, whether it's putting her hand in her hair or the way she scratched <laughs> oh, her eyes. And that. That, yeah, that, that they carried over to the adult character. Beautifully, beautifully done. But you only have seven minutes to tell the story. How did you pick the beads? I have pictures somewhere of all the story charts and the Dan Harmon circles and the you know, all the different ways of plotting a story that I had done to put all the elements that I knew were needed in the story to have it be um, uh, complete and make sense. And then I kept pulling things away throughout the whole thing. I mean, we had many conversations. I'm sorry, I might be diverging from your question, but the we had many conversations about what do we need? What can we remove? What we can take out? A lot of it happened in editing. I think the script I handed in was only five pages so already from the beginning I, I was trying to work economically with um what our timeline could be and what our resources could be for that i mean when you finally get gerard up on stage and again what, what's great is that he effectively launches jules career by by introducing her to close magic and Absolutely. creating a love of magic but at the same time she delivers to him you know this is a guy who clearly egged to be a professional magician, and she she's the one who got him up on stage, and she's the one who entertained the audience, or you know gave him the opportunity to do that. But at the same time, kind of a cheat because again, this is a celebration of close magic, and suddenly yes. he's on stage and he's got to do yes. big stuff. And how did you guys work that transition? Because again, it has to go back to being close yes, magic it, at the it, end. You're right. It is it is kind of a cheat. In the reality of magic, you would not have someone on stage. There's a few magicians that would do it with very big coins and with a wallet and all that. But it was a cheat. At, by the time we got to the end of it, it was really just um, it was really important. I think that we were all just going for what is the emotion of this story, because there was a lot of logic conversations that would derail the story. And I at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think people remember emotion over comedy or action or what have you and because the story uh like jeff said is so is so personal to me and i was really hoping to convey a certain type of emotion and type certain type of feeling when we had him doing coin magic on stage even though that's not really practical for you know a 300 person audience or what what have you it was really about the emotion of that character having it paying having done something that unexpectedly paid it forward but also then having that come back around and what that feeling to, you know, it's, it's just an experience of a, of a parent being able to see their kid go off and 
and be successful at, or, or whatever, for whatever that means for you or for them. The only way to get that feeling across was to have that level of appreciation. And it's like for, for me, because Jeff said, pointed out that um, the story is in part came from uh, my father and he's at a point in his life where he should be able to retire and he can't retire. Um, I have a lot of admiration for him. He's a central worker now. He works at Lowe's and, but he's, uh, he turned 70 this year. And I want him to relax. He used to be a photographer. He used to be an artist himself. And I love his work. Uh, I'm biased. But I've always wanted him to be appreciated in the way that he has wanted myself and my sisters to go out and uh, find success. But he really put a, a pin in that at one point in his life. And um, I got, for, a lot of, for a lot of reality or logic checks that we did for the story... I was just like, well, what would I want for my dad in this moment? What would I want for any of any of the people that that um, encouraged me and what I wanted to do? Well, I'd want them to be appreciated for the things that they did, and it's completely selfless. Uh, you know, in the short we have Gerard, he does something, he gives up his dream, and in giving up his dream, inspires Jules to go and 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 do what he never was able to. But that can happen in many forms. You know, I, I've had teachers growing up. Um, of course, and with I'm sure we all have that that inspires, and we never forget them. They might completely forget us out of all the thousands of students that they've had to teach over their careers, but uh, we never forget them. And, and that's kind of what I wanted to allude to in that, where you know that person or that whoever has inspired you, encouraged you, even if it's by accident, uh, you never forget them, and you kind of always wanted to do want to do something to thank them. I thought, what what better way to then you know in the cyclical nature of the story, and and, and to your point of keeping it. Uh, uh, structurally tight. What, what better way than to pay it forward again, or pay it back, and uh, thank them by fulfilling their dream? Well, what did your family think about this when they saw? It? I mean, we're <laughs> well. Jeff knows my dad was. At, I brought my dad to the the rap party, and at this point, at the end, by the time we'd finished this, everyone at every level of the studio knew everything about my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and and he was like, I don't. Hey, I, he came and visited DreamWorks. He's like, this place is great. I'll sweep floors here if you, you like. This I love where you work, um, and everyone knows who I am. I feel so famous. <laughs> The reaction, I think, was really was really nice. You know, my dad was in tears when he first saw it, and the story is about a supportive, you know, is about that support from your family, and it was just, you know, it was nice to see that again. Yeah. Obviously, from it, it was it was emotional for everybody, um, yeah, to to see because it was such a, such a sincere, genuine reaction, and to to know wh where that inspiration was for Taylor, and then to actually meet that person and have them come in and see the finished product with us and see the emotion wash over him. It was it was a it was a truly emotional moment for everybody and it was so funny because he got to meet you know nico our character designer and ramon and these all these people who in our world are like greats and and you know legends and, and he has no idea who these people are he has no idea <laughs> and he, was, he would come back and be like i was just talking to nico about you know this thing he's building and it's it's amazing do you know how to make copper models <laughs> it's like just come up completely unabashedly talking to the crew and everyone got a real kick out of it. They really enjoyed it. Well, it, it is such a little gem of a film. I mean, it just, there is an ounce of flab on it. It right from the get go, it just, just races forward, but delivers this great complete story and all in all inside of seven minutes. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank I you mean, and, it, and, and we hopefully didn't feel too fast. We did want to slow down for the moments that maybe you wouldn't slow down for like, the magic show, both of the magic shows and but uh 
thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That means a lot to hear. I know we have to wrap up, but sure. for both of you, Jeff, I mean, we've seen, certainly in the case of Pixar, that the shorts are kind of a, a proving ground for feature filmmaking. And are you looking at, at these as sort of a, a way of, of highlighting future DreamWorks filmmakers? And Taylor, are you ready to do a feature anytime soon? <laughs> I, I'm ready. I, it's, it's a matter of, will, will someone let me? I mean, I, um, I, certainly, I, I, I view them that way. I feel that way. I know there's many others within the studio that do. Um, again, we were, we were very much solving a particular moment in our timeline um, in terms of need and, and, and occupying people. And I think the studio was pleasantly surprised when we delivered four shorts as opposed to the one that I think they thought they might get. And um, I, I think in terms of what this means for the long term, who knows? Uh, I, I think these things have a, have a you know, much like the cyclical nature of this story. I think this idea and this process will come back around again when it's opportune for the studio to pick it up. Um, uh, at this point, there, uh, we're, we're not able to juggle both the shorts and the features. So we're kind of steering back into our main line of work for the time being. But these things have a tendency to come back. And what these four shorts and, and what Gerard has proven is that we do have a lot of untapped talent within our walls and a lot of people who we could actually benefit from um, giving it uh, more opportunity to. So, and, and in Taylor's case, he got to make the leap from production coordinator to story artist after this show was over. And he was a storyboard artist on, on, on the crude sequel and he's on to his next project now. And we've had other, um, people on the other three shorts, um, one of them uh, got a director position on a future film and the others, you know, everyone's getting a bump up in some way in terms of their next opportunity. So it is proving to be that, that training ground for our future leaders. Taylor, you got a, you got a script ready for Kung Fu Panda Goes to Mars because they are <laughs> accepting pitches. Yeah. Kung Fu Panda meets Madagascar. But I mean, I, I've always wanted to make movies. I, you know, just because I was a production coordinator at the beginning, it, the plan was always to somehow make the transition. I feel super lucky to have gotten the opportunity to transition in this way. Mm -hmm. um, I do definitely do not take it for for granted. But I hope to keep keep doing this bigger scale. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like a very exciting time. Uh, DreamWorks animation right now. It's a an exciting time in animation, isn't yes, it? Absolutely. I mean, it's just, yes, I, I agree. I've heard both of you talk about this on your past. Yeah, it's just so much going incredible. on. Incredible. It's exciting. Yeah. 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 You know. Well, I know we're headed into a award season. It's it's an it a weird award season, but I'm, I'm, I dearly hope that your uh, to Gerard get, gets the rec recognition it so richly deserves. Again, beautiful, beautiful little film. I've been talking up to friends and family. You know, just they, you got to see it. You know, and but bring Phoenix. <laughs> Well, so, thank you so much for, you so for spreading much. the word and for all that you've said about it. it I really, really appreciate it. I really, really, really want this to do well come award yeah. season. But given how weird this award season is going to be or is right now, do you think the fact that it's it's available on Peacock is going to hurt it at all? Or I feel like it's going to – I hope it helps it. I mean, full transparency, the first time I used Peacock was to watch the short. So I have not messed around with it that much, okay. but – the other thing is that they're going to be campaigning for so long mm -hmm. uh, because the nominations aren't out until March That's and the award right. show isn't until the end of April. That's right. So, That's right. You know, so this is we're still in the this is the first stage. We we very well may have Jeff and Taylor back on the show in a couple of months as they keep. I would love to do that. 
Yeah. <laughs> it is such a wonderful celebration of close-up magic and the fact that they managed to pull that off. I mean, again, I'm sorry. I shouldn't keep blithering here. I should tell you, folks, go to Peacock. Go and watch this thing. Well, Jim, just to circle back to in and of itself, too, I want to maybe this is a topic for your show with Len, but you know that Derek was a artist in residence at Imagineering in 2014. Was he really? An illusioneer, if you will, Jim, like the good old days. Um, yes. So oh. we need to dig in and, and see what he did and what he contributed. Oh. Now you're killing me. I do not want to give anything away. Wonderfully, emotionally, beautifully staged. And, you know, and I don't want to stress this is just about illusion, but that last image in this thing. Yeah. Also, keep your eyes peeled for the audience. If you look in the front row, you will see none other than Brian Henson and Mia Sarah sitting there enjoying themselves. There are other celebrity guests towards the end of the mm-hmm. special. I don't want to give away who that is, okay. but from a pure guy in the audience perspective, it was very easy to recognize Brian and Mia. I am so glad you said that because, I, again, I meant to bring that up in talking about the show, but it's like, wait a minute. is that Because, you know, to face it, nobody quite looks like Brian Henson. Except for Jim Henson. <laughs> well, there we go. And more to the point, who else would be sitting in the front row? Right. I just want to know what his what um, tag he picked, you know. <laughs> oh, well, oh, right. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll have to talk about that later after more. Okay. But again, go, go, folks. Watch in and of itself. Well worth it. And go watch Gerard. And and while I'm telling you things to do, go do, you should definitely be listening to. Well, I, now we're into light the wick, right? Or we are. We're into light the wick. We're we're fully in, in the wick mm-hmm. sauce, Jim. We are. Uh, yeah, we we did our first interview with Chad Stahowski. It's going for months and months, partially because my co-host is having another child, which I'm very excited about. But just as John Wick has his chamber fully loaded whenever going into a Russian bathhouse, <laughs> we are fully loaded with episodes of John Wick, uh, Light the Wick. So, yeah, check it out. It's on the, the main Light the Fuse feed, and you're going to get Light the Fuse episodes sort of every other week because a lot of the same people – um, served similar roles in Mission Impossible. So we kind of trade off on a couple of weeks. It's really, it's going to be a lot of fun. So so check it out. It's such a rich world. And so, I mean, I did, just working off of, you know, lighting people and production designers, you could go for yes. weeks. Oh, yeah. We've, we talked to costume people. We talked to graphic designers. We do an edit, editor's roundtable with Gina Hirsch as one of them, the, who is Paul Hirsch's daughter. Um, which is a lot of fun. And um, yeah, so this this goes to some really, really fun places. So you're going to he- get to hear some good stories. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Okay. We do a few podcasts over here as well. I mean, we got uh, Disney Dish with Len Testa. We got Marvelous Disney, which we do with Aaron Adams. Later this week, I am doing a brand new Universal Joint. Michelle and I will be working on a brand new I Want That. And uh, finally, I am uh, doing the first of a couple solo looking at Lucas films but tell you what folks if you could do drew and i a favor if you could head over to apple podcast and rate and review fine tuning that'd be helpful you want to head over to bandcamp and subscribe i won't stop you you can find us over on twitter and instagram at jim hill media and over on facebook at jim hill media news thanks for listening folks and we're done